listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. Uh, Christina Watson, she successfully achieved a degree in business administration from Townsend University in 1985. So I'm going to do the, the resume virtues first, and I'm going to give a little bit of the, um, the character virtues on Christina. Um, she's opened her construction company. So she had her own construction company in 1988. She worked hard, rose to the challenges in front of her, and persevered fairly well until life threw some curveballs and taught her one new thing. She says the answers are not out there or up there. They are within. And this has formed her philosophy, her desire to coach herself and others, and we can all find the answers. Sometimes we just need a little help. And she, one of the, she is a realtor at Watson Real Estate, and she's been working with her sister and her brother for a long time, um, and some other agents as well, and lots of customers that we know. But one of the things that she does is, is life coaching. And she has a company called Breakthroughs Coaching, and it says it's a partnership between you and the mentor, which is her, uh, to reach your goals. It's about the future, where you want to go, and generating the positive, lasting changes that you desire. There, there will be times when it will be unpleasant, looking where you've been, looking where you've been, avoiding looking. So it takes courage to change yourself and march towards your dream. For that reason, I only work with courageous clients, that's us, <laughs> who are ready to make real changes to get the life they want. You'll be expected to show up on time, complete all your assignments, ask questions when needed, and have a little faith. It says everything you want is out there waiting for you to ask. Everything you want also wants you, but you have to take action to get it. And more, that's Christina's resume virtue. I also admire her as a mother. She's given me a lot of parenting advice. She's a, a mother of two, and she has an interesting story of adopting two wonderful, amazing children from Guatemala. Um, if you know her personally, I, I hope you ask about that story. And then also she's a director of a ministry. It's a, a nonprofit called ORC for Orphans, and she, um, two or three times a year, is involved with trips down to Guatemala to help a orphanage called Casa Verna Bay. And it's just a beautiful place if you ever want to take a mission trip, just connect with Chris, Christina. So I know she sits on the board at uh, the Academy. Uh, she currently lives in Homestead. She's moving up to Maryland soon. We're gonna miss her. And um, Christina, I think I, I, I kind of covered it. Anything else you wanna fill in there? No, but the one thing I wanna say that you mentioned uh, when you were reading about coaching is that the, the thing that people don't realize is that anything that has them stuck, they have the answer to it. And the coach's job is really just to help them uncover it. And sometimes that can free people up, knowing that it's not the big deal we think it is a lot of times. Yeah, I love it. So this, I'm just going to ask Christina a series of questions, very kind of open-ended. And hopefully I can kind of transition some of the questions into some of the relevancy that we do here with, with uh, Retropful. So, you ready, Christina? Yes, I'm ready. So I figured we'd kind of do three core subjects. One is managing self. Another one is managing people. And then another one is, is working with purpose. So the first one, I'll just kind of open it up with an open-ended question. How, how do you manage yourself and some of your priorities and some of your um, core values? Well, for me, my number one value is God. My next value is family. And then my next value is myself, self-health, self-care. So every day I start with meditation and prayer. And I have many tools to help me with that, but I have a prayer journal where, you know, I write my concerns and I, you know, commune with God. I ask him 
what should my day be like? And I always want to start with that because let's face it, he knows a whole lot more about what's going on than we do. The perspective that you can gain there is huge. And uh, often for people that don't have a close relationship with God, I encourage them to meditate. And that's just being awake, not lying in bed, but awake and quieting your own thinking, just quieting yourself down with you know, regular breathing. And that can, that can start your day in a really positive way. Um, and like quiet the, the talking that goes on in your mind that wakes us up, you know? Um, and then the next thing I do is exercise. I exercise every day because I have to take care of myself and I got to keep up with these two kids. I mean, you know, you feed them, they grow and they never stop. And now they're 12 and 13. So we have a whole different active life now. So I exercise for an hour a day. So I, I praise worship and and do that for an hour and then I work out for an hour and before any of I got to take care of that before I do anything else you know then I'm shower eating out the door you know for what time do you wake up in the morning what's that what time do you get up in the morning to start that six. activity? six sometimes 5 30 but but you know I never use an alarm clock I never have I, I mean not in my adult life um I just tell myself I got to get up in the morning and I do but if you use an arm clock, it's fine, but I'm just saying I never need to. So then I'll move on with my day. I find that for business items, it's helpful for me before I leave work for the day to write down what I'm gonna to do tomorrow and to set my priorities. It's really easy to get caught up in the tasks of the day, but if you'll just take five minutes to prioritize which ones need to get done first, which ones are the most important and work on them first, it's magic. So that's good stuff. What are some other ways? I mean, you kind of transition into prioritization and focus. We work in an environment here, Reef Tropical, where it's very difficult at times to stay on task. Can you give us some insight as to how we should act when people are, say, disrupting our schedule or interrupting our routine of, of getting things done? Well, you know, Stephen Covey does that thing in the um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's four quadrants and one's urgent, important, not urgent, not important. So if something is urgent and important, then you stop what you're doing and you do that. If it's urgent but not important, then you pause and you say, okay, I, I'm going to, should I deal with this or not? And, and like an urgent thing is the phone ringing. You know, it's happening right now. It's, it's urging you to do something about it. But you have to stop and say, is it important? In other words, is it my job to answer the phone or is it somebody else's job? It's very easy to get distracted and answer the urgent, okay? So it, it takes that discipline of doing what is important. Now, the non-important and non-urgent things are all the C's on your to-do list. You know, there's A, B, and C. A is the most important, B is pretty important. C's are not important, but nobody else can do them, like make your doctor's appointment or, you know, th those kind of things. But you, you have to train yourself to only answer what is really important. Yeah, I just threw that up on the screen so some people can kind of see that. So run through that again. The, the, the phone conversation is important. Um, how about your boss coming to you and giving you a task to do um, and they don't give you a deadline? How do you, how do you prioritize that? Well, you have to ask them, how important is this? At what time do you expect me to get this done? because you want to know the other person's expectations. And then, and then you have room to negotiate because if you don't think it's important, you can say, well, wait a minute, I have this, this, and this. Is it okay with you if I get those done first before I do the one you just gave me? Or would you like me to put that up front? That's good. So the communication about exactly what it is you're working on and asking the person that came to you with something 
how do you, how would you like me to fit this in? Yeah, the open communication is so important. It can clear up so much and we do so much assuming all day long because you know, that's been your boss for a long time. So you assume that you know what he's doing, what he's thinking, you know? And so yeah. asking can take away a lot of that. How do you, what are your, you, you talked about your core values and um, I mean, back, back to that prioritization, how would you fit in customers into that? So you have uh, staff members, uh, teammates, bosses, and you have customers. How would you prioritize them? Our mission at Reef Tropical is to serve our customer. Uh, and our vision is to help grow people who have a heart to serve. Um, how do you prioritize your customers? Well, I think that, you know, it's going to depend, but obviously if it's the mission, they come first. And that, and that is what the mission statement does is drive your daily activity, you know, so that if you do have two things in front of you, you have the customer pulling, wanting your attention, and you have an employee that you're mentoring pulling your attention, you know, that's where you have to make that decision. Which one is urgent and which one is important and which one should you handle first? I mean, and then you mentioned you have, up, sorry, go ahead. I grew up in a business, my dad owned a garden center and the customer was always first. And he made it clear every single day that he didn't care what else you were doing. The customer gets waited on first and then you do everything else. So I was like, you know, programmed that way. And if it's that way at Reef Tropical, then that's what you do first. With that, how, and this kind of transitions into the second part of it. A lot of us on this call do put customers first, but not everybody else does. When you notice that somebody is not putting a customer first, how would you confront them? Well, the best way to always confront people, first off, is you be the example, right? I mean, that is really how people see how they're supposed to act. Is they're looking at their supervisor and how they act. And if the people aren't acting like the supervisor is setting an example, then you have a talk. And the best way to talk to people is shoulder to shoulder. You know, confronting people one-on-one -on -one sometimes can make them shut down, get them nervous, feel like am I in trouble and all that kind of thing. But if you're on the landscaping crew, let's say, and you, the guy's shoveling and you come up next to him and take a shovel or work alongside of him and say, you know, our value at Reef Tropical is really the customer. And did you see the way that I was talking to her, you know, or, or that customer? You know, I didn't really like the way they were talking to me, but you see the way I responded because that's our mission, you know? And then once you say that, then you can say, it's always good to couch like a sandwich, right? I see you doing a good job in trying to interact with the customers. I noticed last time when we were at that last job, you sort of turned and walked away when the customer was talking. And that's really not how we do it. You know, we like to give them our full attention even when they're being rude. And then you do a compliment on the end. I see you've come a long way and I have so much confidence in you. And then off they yeah. go. That's good. It takes a lot of mental health and, and emotion. And, and I certainly have a lot to learn with that as well. So one quick question before we transition into managing people, because there's definitely a lot there and relevancy. And I want to ask some difficult questions for the people on this, on this call, but you mentioned your self care and prioritizing things and you've got customers, you've got team members. Um, how does your family fit into that? Well, they are, you know, at the center of everything I'm doing, right? So they are always in there. So in other words, when I finish, I'm always finished my self care in the morning before they get up. Then I'm making breakfast with them. We're starting the day. You know, I, I take very seriously my job of mentoring my two kids. And it takes a lot of time and forethought and prayer and reading books. I'm telling you, staying up late trying to keep up with these kids. But it's very important to me. So I make the time for it. And that is what life comes down to. You know, you have to figure out what is important to you and then make the time for it. And does your brother and your sister, the people you work with that you know, Bobby doesn't have any children and neither does Michael. 
do they understand that? What is the, how do you um, explain something like that to them? And there's people on this call as well, a lot of people that don't have kids. And um, maybe speak to that a little bit too. Well, over the years, you know, I often wish that they did understand where I'm coming from, but that when you don't have kids, you don't understand exactly. Remember when you didn't have any. I mean, it's a different mindset once you are responsible for other people like that and you've committed your life to raising them. So what I try to do is explain my truth the best I can in the situation and then leave it. Because at the end of the day, it's my um, values. It's my life. I'm the one responsible. So I, I live my life the best I can, try to educate them. But most of the time, I don't worry about what they think or how much they're participating. That's good. That's, that's good stuff. Quality advice. So that, well, that kind of covers, you know, self. And it seems like you are in good habitual routine and you have your core values and you have some of your own personal goals and you're able to effectively communicate that to some of the people in your life and they either accept you or don't. And I think that's really important. Um, so now let's transition into managing people, managing other people, which can be very tricky. Um, before we get into some of those questions, what are your thoughts on authority and understanding being under authority? For instance, you know, your sister, um, and then also being of authority when you have people working for you that you've hired and that are your supervisor. Can you tell me about some of that stuff? Well, that that's a, was a real struggle for me because early in my life, I was the rebel without a cause. You know, it didn't matter what, who it was that was my authority, I was going to not do what they said, you know, and I got myself in a whole world of trouble about it. And then I straightened out. And when I did, I had to really look at that issue of authority. And I think what, what I would say about it is that you have to, respect the person that you're putting yourself under their authority. And if you don't respect them, i.e. you take a job and you work for someone you don't respect, it's very difficult. It's difficult to submit to that person, but it is still what you have to do because that is what you signed up for. I mean, at the end of the day, that is the contract that you have with your boss is that you're going to hire me and I'm going to submit to your authority. So at the end of the day, you have to do it and you have to teach the people under you that they have to submit to your authority. So it's not easy, but it is what the contract says. That's a heavy one. And I think maybe people, they hear the word submit and authority and it doesn't sit well with them. Um, what are some of the positive things that could come from that sort of line of thought? Well, first off, you're learning from that person. You know, and you can't learn from somebody if you don't submit to their authority. Because if you're always thinking you know better than them, I don't have to listen to that person, you know, and that kind of thing, you're not open to learn. Once you do, then the pathway for you to grow is there. You know, and submission is not a bad thing. It talks about it a lot in the Bible, you know, and we're supposed to submit ourselves to God, not always telling him what to do, but rather listening to what he wants to do and wants to do in and through us. And it's the same sort of thing in the employer relationship, you know, because that person that's your boss wants to develop you to make you better, to be able to not only serve the customers, but better in your life. What if you have, you know, for instance, I know Sheldon and Cindy are managing a large group of people. So is Mike, so is Jeremy. If you have people on your team that you just know that they may not be falling into the desire to move towards the mission and what do you do? How do you, do you ignore that? Do you sit them down and have a shoulder to shoulder? How many strikes do you give them? And when is it time to just call a spade a spade and, and just have them leave your team? Well, in, in, in leadership books and courses that I've taken, they say three, 
They get three shots of doing something. In other words, you're bringing them along and you see they're not coming. You sit down, you talk to them, whether it's shoulder to shoulder, confrontation is sometimes needed. And then, and then they still don't do it and they still don't do it. By three times, they're letting you know, this is not a fit and you've got to be strong enough to cut the cord. But I will also say that people that are under your authority are looking for you to tell them what to do. So you have to have these regular meetings where you are uh, repeating the mission statement and repeating the expectations so that they can recite it. You know, it's like rolling around in their head when they're on the job. So there's no question about what they're supposed to be doing. And a lot of times bosses get into two habits of, well, I told you last week, you know, I told you last month what you were supposed to be doing, but realize that people are like kids, you know, you have to keep repeating it and repeating it. That's good. And it goes a lot. It goes back to leading self too and realizing being self-aware of what you're doing, what you're not doing and being willing to change. Um, what happens if we keep a person on our team that is repetitively in not, not really on the bus per se? What, what happens to the, the team and the culture? Well, everybody suffers because everyone else is watching you too. They're watching that person that's not performing and they're watching you to see what you're going to do about it. And when you don't do anything about it, you lose, they lose respect for the leader. And it's like a cancer that spreads through the team because we're human and the way humans think is, well, I'm not gonna sit over here and do his job for him, you know, or her, I'm gonna, you know, this is, it, it pulls everyone down. That's good. So now that's authority and that's having people on your team and that's being a good leader and that's um, having people, you know, we don't say, hey, submit to my authority, but we lead by example and eventually we can tell whether or not they're in or they're out. And we have to have this candid conversation. That's really good. Um, what happens when a person, you know, there's people on this call that, have influence and they have a title which would put them in a position of a leader, but they don't have direct authority over a person. How do you, how do you get a person to do something when you're not necessarily their boss? Well, influence comes from the person trusting you. You can't influence someone who doesn't care about what you're saying, right? And the way that you get into someone's trust is you care about them. So one thing that I tell people to do is every time you're in front of someone, you say in your head, no one else can hear, you say, how can I help this person? How can I help this person? When you're saying that repeatedly over and over, you're now on the right side of the, of the conversation. In other words, you are not ignoring that person, you're not against that person, you're on their side. I often tell people, think of it like a tennis match. You're not on the other side hitting things at them. You're, you come around in that and you're on their team. And so when you ask that question, answers will come. They will naturally come. If you're looking at that person saying, how can I get them to do what I want? the answers might not come as quickly. But if you can say, how can I help that person? Sometimes the thing that's holding that person back will be revealed to you. Because sometimes what's going on with other people is so obvious, it's almost comical how we can see right through each other. Can't see ourselves as easily, but we can see through other people. So if you're yes. asking the right questions, then maybe you're really in a position to help. Once you're in a position to help, you have the ability to influence them. That's amazing. That was, that was so good. Thank you for that answer. And when does it get to the point where you've joined their side on the tennis match, you've gotten yourself transitioned in, what can I do to help? And you still find that they're just not doing some of the duties they need to. When do you approach their boss and when do you blow the whistle if you, if you would and say, hey, listen, there's something going on here and we need to talk about it? Well, I would say that, that that's a conversation that needs to happen between that employee and the boss. It should be something like, when do I come to you? You know, because that employee is becoming like um, a co-captain with the boss. If, if in fact you want this, that he goes around and, and is gonna report back to the boss that we got a non-team player here. 
But I would not foster that unless you have to. I don't know how many people exactly each person has and how much that helps, but you have to be careful there because you don't want to foster a attitude of snitching, you know, you don't, and you don't want to empower people who haven't earned that power yet, you know, because it's a supervisor that, um, it's a supervisor that is in the position to correct and, you know, see that kind of thing and correct it. So you might, you might not want to lift somebody up to the level of supervisor's pet unless appropriate. That's good. So with that, we have supervisors on this team that maybe would wish other people would come to them and give them truth, give them information that they don't have. How do we get our team and our subordinates to give us truth about what's really going on? Well, I think a lot can be done, and I like this approach myself, a lot can be done in a meeting where the supervisor is talking to everyone, see, because then everybody knows the score. And, you, and then in this meeting, the supervisor can set expectations again. Let me just remember, all of you remember what I expect of you. And then they, and then say, and I would like anyone who's not meeting expectations, you think you're the guy on your team who's holding the shovel next to you is not meeting expectations, come to me. Now you've given permission for everyone to come. You're not, I mean, it's still a little bit of snitching, you know, but if you have that many people that you need this kind of thing, then I would just do it in an open air way so that everybody's on board at the same time. That's good. Why, why is it important to have difficult conversations with people and what happens if we avoid them? Well, the importance is what I said earlier about we're always assuming that we know what's going on with people when really we don't know. You know, and I know everybody can think of an example in your probably recent past where you were absolutely sure you knew what was going on with somebody only to find out it was nothing like that. So open, honest communication has got to happen. And sometimes, of course, it's going to be difficult. But sometimes you go to somebody and be like, hey, you have just been out of the game. What's going on? And that person's like, thank you for asking because I'm so burdened with this and I don't know what to do. And now you're in a position to not only influence them, but help them. You know, but it would never happen if you didn't have the difficult conversation. That's good. Yeah. I think coming, coming into that conversation of just seeing people for who they are on a, on a good day and then noticing slowly a progressive change of attitude, change of heart and bringing them aside and just saying, hey, I'm concerned about you. What's happening? I'm here as a friend. I guess that's one last conversation or, or two questions about managing people. Where do you, where's the line there with, hey, I care about you and I want you to be successful and versus you're not doing what you need to do. And when do you, when do you become the boss and talk about the numbers and just say, listen, enough is enough. I know you got issues, but this can't happen anymore. Right, well, it's the three times Okay, yes. so you have to give the person a chance to come up. You know, you have to, just like in parenting, I use the one, two, three magic. And that is where I give a consequence and then I count to three. But I don't go one, two, three, I go one. You have to count to five in between each one, see? And then my child has the time to make their own decision to obey or not to obey, right? So yeah. it's the same thing here. You gotta treat these people like the adults and give them the respect that they deserve. So, you know, you set the expectation when you hire them then you give them a review and you let them know, are they meeting, or are they not meeting? Now, in between reviews, you may have to pull them in because you can see that they're not meeting it. Again, you set the expectation. This is what I'm looking for from you. Can you meet it? Of course, they're gonna say yes. And then you're gonna say, okay, well, when you need assistance from me because you're not, you can see you're not meeting it, then you come to me and it's all on them. When, when they get behind, 
you know, and even if they come to you and say, oh my God, I think I have a drinking problem and my wife is cheating on me. You've got to help me. At least now you've got something to work with, you know, even though that's not your purview really to, to get involved in that, but you can say, thank, I'm glad you told me that this serious thing is going on in your life. Let me help you get some help, you know, over here. And then you see, you're always treating them like an adult. Don't get into the habit of thinking you've got to solve the problems of all these people. No, you gave them a job and an opportunity, and now you're the guide. You're the person that's gonna keep giving them the resources that they need to grow in this company and continue to serve your customers and, and fulfill the mission. It's not your job to fix their problems. Wow, that's good. I mean, I definitely speak for myself and maybe others on this call that sometimes we're burdened by that influence and we want to fix their problems. And to, to be able to release that a little bit is, is very helpful. Um, you know, you pretty much answered all the questions that, you know, when we talk about managing people, um, why is it important for us to be better managers? And why is it important for us to understand that being a leader is stepping into responsibility? It's not, it's not stepping um, into a, uh, a position where I don't have to do as much. Uh, you know, let me, let me try to rephrase that question. Uh, managing people is difficult. <laughs> and there are things that we have to do that if we choose not to do it, we are technically not being good managers. So how do we remove the emotions and step into the practicality of the job when dealing with people? Well, it's a maturity thing. You know, you have to be mature about it. Like, this is my job and know what your job is. You're the leader. And leadership is a much different job than being a worker. There's, it's, it's actually much harder than just picking up a shovel and doing the job, right? So know your craft. I would say, listen to leadership podcasts. I would say, read books about it. Talk about it amongst your other leaders. You know, what has worked, what hasn't worked so that you can be better at it. Because when you don't do that, then you start just trying to solve the problem with what you know, just whatever you know and whatever the problem is. Well, you know, he's sleeping on the job, you know, let me just go over there and slap him and wake him up. You know, that's what I would do, start some water. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're not trying to make yourself a better leader all the time, then you're not going to be equipped for the new challenges that are coming. That's so good. Yeah, so last set of questions. And thank you, Christina. This has been very helpful, hopefully, definitely for myself and maybe some other people on the call. Um, working with a purpose and coming to work every day, knowing your why because I believe that we step into our duties each day and we have to, we have to sacrifice ourselves. Um, what, what are the first question, what is your why? And why is it important um, that we discover ours as leaders and managers? That is the key question. So that is a really great question. And it took me a long time to find mine, but mine is serving others. And when I know that, like, because sometimes the world says, no, you gotta get some more money, you know, go sell some more houses or all that kind of thing. Then you get dragged in all these different directions. But when you're clear about what your values are and you do a job that speaks to those values, you are happy every day. That when you're doing what you were meant to do, what God put you here to do, and he gave you the talent to be able to do it and you're doing that, your life just goes well, I'm telling you, because I've done it with and without. But so I would say that first thing to do is hone your values. What are they? Okay, so for instance, mine's helping others and I serve my sister who makes eight times more money than I make, okay? But her value is accumulating money. She likes that more. And my value is serving others. So we work really well as a team because I don't get it twisted and I know that I'm here to serve her and serve my kids. And I have a nonprofit as, as um, Claude said, and I'm really good at that. And so when you're doing 
what your your values are, you end up being really good at it. So I your sister all of you, and I have a little exercise that I'd like to share with the group on honing what your values are, because this is something people do when they're looking for a job. Find out what you really care about, and then go job, find a job that does that instead of finding a job and then trying to shove yourself into it. So, but when you already have a job, it's still a good exercise to do because then you know which parts of your job really make you sing. And then the other parts of your job is a sacrifice. Okay, so for instance, I don't like accounting. I am, I'm good at it because I have a brain, you know, I mean, it's not that hard, but I find that I make mistakes about it all the time. I'm always putting it off to the last thing because I don't like it. It's no value that I have is counting money and putting it all in the right categories. However, I sacrifice to do it because I'm the one person who's the best in the whole company to do it. And it ties into a lot of my other jobs. So I sacrifice for that one but I'm able to really appreciate the other parts of my job where my values are being used. So it can be a valuable exercise for you to find that out. So I'm gonna send it to everybody with instructions on how to do it. Awesome, thank you. And with that, and maybe some people can understand this, if you have a boss or an authority over you that just has vehemently different values, for instance, with your, your sister, um, won't those conflict? Does your sister say, how come you don't care about what I care about? And does that, and then also, how do you articulate yourself and explain to her that I do care about what you care about, but I care about this more? Okay, well, this is so incredibly easy. I'm so glad you asked this question because she doesn't get a lot of things I do. Like, why are you spending all this time working for nothing? You know, nonprofit, you're not making anything. But every time she comes to me, I say, annoyed, you know, or like, you know, with the, what are you doing? I say, how can I help this person? Because nine times out of 10, something else is going on. And it's true about all the people that in your lives too, all the people that you work with, the people you work for, the people that work for you. Something else is going on. If you're always looking to how to help the person, it'll come to you what to do. Because never is it a good idea to just start defending yourself. Well, I'm really, it's my value. Why don't you just get back and maybe you need some values of your own, girl. You know, that isn't gonna get anything done. That's just gonna cause more fighting. That's, that's so good, Christina. Very influential. Um, you, you talked about influence and, and why, how it's happening. If somebody has influence over other people, why, can you define what influence is and, and why it's important for us to understand that we have it and um, how to exude it in a, in a righteous fashion? Well, influence is really um, being able to help shape someone else's character. And most of the time, you can't do that if you don't have the character. So you can't make somebody into a good person if you're not a good person. So like I said, example is the best way, but sometimes people still don't get it by your example. So you might explain why you're doing things. But almost all the time I influence by telling stories about myself, you know, like right away, because I'm busy asking how, how can I help this person? How can I help this person? And then they'll say something that I've been through. And I'll say, you know, this reminds me of a story. And I will tell them about the difficult time that I went through and how I came through it. That person is more likely to follow my lead by that than if I said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to clean up your act over here and get going this way, you know, or whatever I think. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's yeah. the way to influence people. But one other point I want to say is that I um, heard a sermon um, by a guy at the VU conference this couple weeks ago. 
And he talked about the Good Samaritan story. And most everybody knows that story, but I'll, I'll run through it real quick. It's the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other, right? So there was a racial divide there. And this Jew gets beat up and robbed and laid on the side of the road for dead. And a priest of the Jewish faith walks by and pretends he doesn't see him. And then a Levite, who's like a rabbi, he walk, looks at him, walks by, pretends he doesn't see him. But the Samaritan guy, he stops, bandages the guy up, and throws him on his donkey and takes him to the nearest inn, pays for him, says, listen, while this guy's healing, if he has any other expenses, uh, pay for him and I'll hit you on the way back, okay? So in that story, what the Samaritan did is first he used his awareness, right, to see it was a problem. And he used his resources. He had some bandages and a donkey and took him to the inn, paid for him with his money. So he used all his resources. But in the end, he used his influence. See, because the, the, the innkeeper knew him, right, he had credit with that guy, he could say, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to help this guy, and then I'm going to pay you on the way back. And, that, and this guy, the preacher was saying is that that's what we need to do as a way to heal racism. Because if there's somebody who doesn't have your influence and you can use your influence, maybe you don't have the money, maybe you don't have everything to fix that person's life, but you can use your influence, you should do it. And I thought about it, it's kind of like what I did when I adopted my children. You know, they were in a situation where they were gonna grow up in, in a not great environment. And I am not a king or queen, and I am not super wealthy, but the one thing I could do is use my influence. You know, I have a couple people around me, you know, my family, and, and because I brought them in, my kids, and I have influence with these people, as they know me already, they accepted them. So see, you can use your influence in that way to bring somebody else up. I think that that story is just a wonderful way to summarize everything we've talked about today. And Christina, thank you so much for, for sharing with us. I wanted to ask maybe rapid fire questions real quick about you know, your life and what you're doing. Um, who is your, currently your favorite uh, mentor or person to listen to uh, regularly for um, managing business advice? Hmm. I would say John Maxwell. I just heard him at the VU conference, which made me fall in love with him again. But I have a habit of, I read a business book every month. I have Audible and I listen to it. And right now I'm listening to The Outsiders, which is a book about uh, amazing CEOs. They take eight CEOs over the last 20 years who have outperformed the S&P and, and their peers. And so that's been amazing to listen to. It's called The Outsider. Who wrote that book? Uh, Thorpe, I think his name is. And then how about your favorite? But it's fascinating. It's fascinating to hear about people who thought outside the box and conventional wisdom. And right now they're on Warren Buffett. I'm reading the chapter on him. And, and, and they just thought about it, studied it, and decided to go in a maverick different way and were inc incredibly successful. Where's your favorite place to go when you're stressed out? Um, well, since I'm living in this house, it's right out there on this rocker looking at this beautiful view. <laughs> but since I have kids, my bedroom is always my place because I can close the door and it's all mine. If you could live in there and if you could live anywhere in the world where would you live uh wherever god takes me i'm about to move to baltimore and i'm just as happy to be there as i am in sunny florida because my value is to listen to him so doesn't matter where you take me i'm there um what's the biggest challenge that you're facing today and what are you doing to overcome it Okay, I would say my biggest challenge right now is this move because I have to take my father with me and he suffered a stroke last year and he is doing amazing. He played golf last week, okay? And he's blind completely on this side and he's about 90% back with his um, mental. 
But the idea of caring for an aging parent and two children as a single mom is a little daunting, a little. <laughs> I'm fearful of that. <laughs> Uh, last question. Is there anything else you want to share with the group before we say goodbye? Yes. The last question on your list was about legacy. So I looked that up today because when I saw legacy, what kept coming up for me was that line in the Hamilton play, which is coming on TV on Friday night. But um, I love, love that music and that score because it's the story of the, one of the founding fathers of the country um, who was the treasury secretary. But it's really a story of work-life balance because he was super ambitious, but he had this amazing, wonderful wife and they had all these kids and he was driven by good things, but bad things too. And in, he, and, and, and in this play that this guy, Lin-Manuel Miranda has written, he's brought out all these human qualities that we deal with all this time, the struggle of wanting to please the world, but wanting to raise a family and all that. And he talks about legacy and he calls it a garden where you plant the seeds, but you never get to see what, is, what grows there. And I think that that is kind of true. So you have to be careful about what you plant and mindful about what you plant because in the busyness of life, you're, you're getting things done and you're meeting your obligations and you might not be thinking about what, what seeds am I planting here that I'm not gonna be sowing, that I'm not gonna be here to see. And so I'm mindful of that with my children, you know, that I wanna make sure that they know the things and I have the difficult conversations with them you know, like right now, they're, they're preteens. Guess what conversation you're supposed to be having with preteens? Mm. It's a difficult one. <laughs> but I had it, and um, uh, they're better for it, you know, because it's more important, my discomfort. Because let me tell you, talking to this with a 13-year-old son, because I don't have a husband, you know, so I, it was time, and I had to do it, was uncomfortable people, uncomfortable. Thinking about hiring you, Claude. But at the end of the day, it was me who had to do it. And so I did it, and... Now I know that no matter what else happens, that seed is planted in him. And that is what we have to be looking to do. And I really think it ties into these values. So after everybody does this value exercise, you'll know exactly which values you want to plant seeds about, you know? Questions for Christina. I know that the, the, the topic we have to cover in the next 40 minutes isn't as exciting, although it is, but I'm sure people <laughs> might have questions. So feel free to ask Christina a question if, if you have any. You know, the format was really good. And I was telling my son on the way, he went to a birthday party the day. And he was like, what are you gonna be talking about? And I said, well, you know, he's doing it in a format where you ask questions and answer. And that is so much easier for people to learn because lectures can be really boring and you never know where the person's going. But with questions, even if you find the question boring, you know a new one's coming. I have a question, Christina. Anything. Hi. Hi, Christina, how you doing? Good, Sheldon, how are you? Good, excellent. So that was phenomenal. I really appreciate all the information you've given to us. One of my biggest struggles has been separating, leaving work and walking through my door <laughs> at home. <laughs> I have a two-year-old daughter, I have a seven-year-old boy, and I have a wife, and all of them are very demanding. And I, as Claude said earlier, I do have a team, and you know, there's a lot that goes on throughout the day. And when I get home, I have a difficult time separating what I went through that day and my wife feels it and it takes me a while to break that tension it takes me a while I was wondering if you had like an exercise some tips something that would be valuable to help me <laughs> separate it 
I do, I do. Okay, first I suggest that you take a few minutes before you start the car to go to in your day timer, write down what you have to do the next day. Because you don't want your thoughts, because this time of driving home is your opportunity to retool your thinking. So that, because now you're ready to go into family mode. And so you want to leave work behind. And so write down the things that are important that need to get done and then close that book. And then on your ride home, I want you to, it's called pre-paving. Okay, this is a little mind control exercise. I want you to think about how you want your re-entry into your family life to be. So you might imagine your two-year-old, as you open the door and say, I'm home, you might imagine your two-year-old running up, daddy, daddy, daddy. And you might imagine your seven-year-old going, look, I got the lead in the school play. And you might see your wife over there stirring the pot going, come over here and kiss me, honey. And, and, and this welcoming thing that you're moving into. And then as you are imagining that, you're gonna have thoughts because this imagining is the same kind of thing as saying, how can I help this person? So you're gonna think about, how can I bring joy into that family that's waiting for me, okay? And maybe your wife, maybe you already know, because usually couples are very good at telling each other what they need, we're just not as good as actually doing it. So maybe your wife's told you before, I would like you to touch me, kiss me, or commune, you know, commune with me in your first three minutes inside the door. By the way, that's a big thing in marriage counseling, they tell you, connect right away, not with the kids, with the wife, you guys mm. are the leader of the family. And- um, Very important. So those things that she needs, you know, make sure you're just meeting that need. It only takes a few minutes, but that drive time is your precious time to get rid of that, put off the job and put on the family. Because at the end of the day, the family's more important. But Claude shares books with me and I share books with him and it's so good to keep that reading going. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Christina, I had a question for you. Um, of course, thank you for joining us this morning. It's been great listening to you. Um, I had a question because like Claude mentioned, Sheldon and I have a very large team. So of course we have our own duties that we're supposed to be doing as well as things that our bosses give us and then as well as our teammates are trying to come and ask for assistance. So of course the customer always comes first. And for me, that's ultimately what I always want to do is to always serve the customer. So I find I'm dropping a lot of my own things to make sure everybody else is, can serve their, their customers. You know what I mean? Because of course mm -hmm. that's the end goal. So how would you suggest to, and I find that it takes up most of my day because we have so many people and then I'm dealing with my boss's projects too. So all of that time constraint, like what do you suggest I do in order like for time management, I guess, or for prioritizing it? Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. It's the prioritizing. So you, I mean, I always think it's good to do before you leave work. Some people do it before they go to bed is, is, and it makes you sleep better is to write down the things that you need to do the next day and in the order oh, of priority. I'm sorry, I, I, I do do that. I yeah. do that, it'd be the night before and everything. What I'm trying to say is basically my day gets completely bombarded with everybody else's needs to serve the customer that I don't ever get to my list. Well, you're back to the urgent and important. You know, you can't let people hijack your day. You have to be the boss of your day. So you have to, at the moment, say, how important is this? How important is it that I do it? Maybe somebody else can do it. Maybe you can put it back on the person. You know, there's always options. If you have to do it, then do it. Just go when you go back. Once it's done, you go back to the A item. Don't let yourself be caught trying to get your whole list done. Always go back to the A priority item. That's gonna give you a more productive day. The other thought that came to me is managing a team is difficult, especially if you are quarterbacking from an office and they're all over the place. So maybe some of these um, team resources would be good for you. 
like to listen to an audible in the drive home, you know, about being a better team builder and, and team manager. Which, um, I was asking which audible would you suggest? I'll send you some. Okay. I'll send you some. I, I've listened to quite a few, but I'm thinking some of them are about building the team and you're more about managing the team. So let me, let me look. Um, but the, at the end of the day, you've got to put time management, your schedule up on your priority list. Everybody else is not more important than you. Your job is important. And maybe people have gotten into the habit of asking you things that are urgent but not important, or maybe even not urgent and not important, but they know you know the answer and you'll do it. And so that's okay to a, to a point, but not habitually. You've got to train people to ask themselves or go find the resource and not hog up all your time. Christina, it was an honor. Thank you so much for sharing with us and, and we really appreciate your time. And I'm personally just encouraged by your positivity. And I think it's definitely injected a spirit of enthusiasm into our, our day. So, so thank you. And we are um, gonna come on the same side of the tennis court as you as people that are appreciative of your life. So let us know how we can serve you and how we can help you. And um, yeah, we're here for you. Thank you so much. I will let you know.